down a row. And that'll do it. Four games, four home wins, both teams hold serve. It's now a best of three. I'm not cheering for injuries. I'm not rooting for players to get hurt, but injuries are part of the game. Injuries are part of sports. I'm not rooting for them, though. Yeah, but on second thought. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Guess who's Buck? Buck around and find out. Milwaukee is out for blood. <laughs> These antlers are sharp. Milwaukee runs through nets in game four. These are awesome. Ankle rolled. Series rolled. Banged up Brooklyn. Brought down to earth by Bucks. One buck on the court. Worth more than two nets on IR. <laughs> Just some headlines. Some headlines that we workshopped last week. Potential storylines. Should the Bucks win yesterday, which they did. I guess that was on Saturday, wasn't it? In case the Bucks won on Saturday. Some narrative switches, some storylines, and then you throw the injuries in and you just, you can get some amazing headlines, some great play on words. Nets injury list, long. Nets list of reasons to panic, even longer. I love workshopping some good headlines. Shout out to our friend Nate Myhock. I mentioned him last week. He works at Newswatch 12 up in Rhineland. I went to college with him. And anytime I just need funny headlines, I just text him. He'll send me like 10 immediately. I texted him at 358. Friend of the show, Nate Myhock, and he sent me like six right away. 30 seconds later, he's like, oh yeah, bet. Here's six headlines. What an awesome weekend. Brewers keep winning. The Bucks not only got a game four win and tied the series up, but they did so in the exact form and fashion that we wanted. A blowout. Yeah, the Kyrie Irving injury complicates it a little bit. But they still got the blowout and all of the effects that come along with that blowout. A narrative switch. Right, the swing of the pendulum. Now everybody's on the bucks. Now we're talking. Now we got a series. What a time to be alive. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Not just the Bucks this weekend, but the Brewers kept winning. Those are our only two teams playing right now, but if you were watching sports outside of Bucks and Brewers this weekend, I mean, yesterday was just unreal. We had Brewers Pirates, Bucks Nets. Suns Nuggets, Islanders Lightning, and then last night on Sunday Night Baseball, which we watch because we're American, Cardinals Cubs. The Bucks did play yesterday. I don't know why I second-guessed myself. It was yesterday. An amazing slate of sports yesterday. I probably watched eight, eight and a half hours worth. What a fantastic day of sports, and I'm so excited to talk about it all. I tweeted last night. I was like, look, tomorrow's show is going to be so good. The rest of the state, everybody else who hosts sports shows in the state, just take the day off. It's not going to compare. This show is going to be excellent. I can't wait to dig into a bunch of these different games and a bunch of these different stories. I hope you enjoyed the games, and I hope you enjoyed your weekend. And Bucks fans got to be feeling good. Brewers fans, I don't even I don't even know what to say. This team just won't, this team won't quit. So we're going to talk about the Brewers. But I want to start with the Bucks, and today I want to hear from you as well. 608-796-2558, the talk and text line. You can follow me and tweet me at Wisco Grant as well, a different way to get in touch with the program. If you're not on Twitter, just, just don't. Like, you might always hear me bring up Twitter. Don't have... Don't feel like you're missing out. You're not. Stay stay off of Twitter. It is toxic. It is terrible. I'm sucked in, but if you don't have Twitter, don't. you're not really missing out on anything. But if you do, you might as well follow me and tweet along and, and be part of the show. Nets Bucks yesterday. Excuse me, I misspoke to start the show. It was yesterday. 
been a, such a, an exciting weekend with so much going on, I forgot when they played. The Bucks won game four, 107 to 96. That final score, as is typical with basketball, made it look a little bit closer than it was. We got a series, right? This is what we were hoping for. This is what we wanted. There's a lot of different angles from which we can approach this game. We could talk about it like a blowout, which is something we discussed a lot on Thursday and Friday, why the Bucks would benefit so greatly from a blowout. And I do want to talk about that. We, we talk about Kyrie Irving's injury, and it's announced he's not going to play in Game 5 tomorrow. He's out at least one more game with that bad ankle. He left this game early yesterday. We can talk about that angle. And you can also talk about it from an angle of narrative and momentum. There's so many factors that exist in the realm of the NBA and the NBA playoffs that don't really exist in the NFL or Major League Baseball. Things specific to basketball in the NBA. And I want to get to all of them. But I don't want to lose this game in the mess of everything else. The mess of Kyrie Irving's ankle injury, which is unfortunate. And I know we had a little bit of fun with the injuries to start the show. We, You don't want to see players get hurt, right? Now, I want to see the Bucks take advantage of the Nets injuries, but I'm not cheering for guys to get hurt. I know we had a little bit of fun with that, but you get what I'm saying. I don't want to lose this game in the injury to Kyrie Irving. I don't want to lose. I want to talk about this basketball, this game, this basketball game where there's dribbling and shooting and packing. I want to talk about that because this game was a pivot game. Right, 2-1 with the underdog trying to tie it up at home and extending the series. Right, that That's that's about as high stakes as you can get, except for a pivotal game five where it's tied 2-2, which we're going to have tomorrow, so strap in. Or game seven, right? Other than those two instances, a 2-1 with the underdog trying to tie it at home, that, that's about as high stakes as it gets. I mean, think of the difference in outcomes. If the Bucs would have lost yesterday, this would be a 3-1 series and the series would essentially be over. There's a big difference between 3-1 and 2-2 because as you heard ESPN's Mike Breen to start the show, this is now a best of three series. And one team is banged up, although that one team has two of these three games at home. One team has all the momentum. That's the Bucs. And you just got to win two of three. Big difference between 2-2 and 3-1. Yesterday was a pivot game. Series essentially ends or the series is just getting started. Right? That's the case because the Bucs were able to win yesterday and tie up this series. I think going into yesterday's game, before Kyrie got hurt, before P.J. Tucker put on a masterful defensive performance, before all of these things transpired yesterday afternoon, right? We were much, we were much more simple-minded yesterday at like 10 a.m. We had a lot less on our plate basketball-wise. Before this game, I think most folks were watching this game through the lens of shooting, right? Most people came into this game thinking, hey, the Bucs are finally going to shoot well. They're finally going to have a good shooting game because they haven't had one yet. I think that's what everyone was thinking. Game one from three, they shot six of 30. That's an even 20%. In game two, they shot eight of 27, which is 29%. Game three was even worse. They shot six of 31, which was 19%. Through three games so far, the Bucs have not even had a close to average three-point shooting performance. They shot 38, almost 39% from three during the regular season. They didn't come within 10 percentage points of that in the first three games. So I think everybody expected yesterday to be the day. That game yesterday was going to be the game where the, fi- the finally, the three-point shooting shows up and they don't shoot like crap and they actually look like they have some sort of cohesion and, and uh, fluidity on offense. And I was looking on Twitter and I was reading right before tip because I like to try to put myself in the mindset of everybody else before tip off. What are people preparing for? What are people expecting to see? What's on everybody's mind right before the game starts? And Nick Wright, from Fox Sports tweeted this out, and I'm like, yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. This is his tweet, and this was 2.16, so about 20 minutes before the game started. He said, the biggest NBA game that's been played since game six of the NBA Finals is about to tip off. 
As I said on Thursday night, I think today is the day that Milwaukee finally hits 15-plus threes and gets to 115-plus points. They are going to be knotted at 2-2 back in Brooklyn on Tuesday night. Now, one of those things happened. They did hit 15 threes. The Bucks shot 16-47, of 47, which is 34%, which is still lower than their season average. Right now, they didn't get to 115. No, nobody has been scoring at a stupid high clip in this series. The defense has actually been pretty good by both teams. But Nick's point that he made before the game was correct. Everybody expected shooting progression from the Bucks, right? The opposite of regression, progression. They did get closer to their average. They didn't get there. They didn't get to that 39 number that we saw during the regular season. But then again, regular season numbers are going to be a little bit higher. The defense isn't quite as intense. The referees let people play a little bit more in the postseason. We certainly saw that was the case yesterday. Once this game started... I tried to watch through that lens, right? The lens of assumed supposed shooting improvement, right? I watched this game with the mindset, okay, they're probably going to shoot better. So when they do, how do they take advantage of it? Or when they don't, how do they make up for it, right? That's what was in the front of my mind. And right away to start this game, the ball movement was there. The passing was there. The potential assists were there. The shots just didn't fall right out of the gun. They They started one of nine from the field, but they got good looks, which is, really backwards to think they fell behind early they started one of nine from the field and yet they were getting good shots they were doing the right things I think Stan Van Gundy at one point even like mentioned I like the shots they're getting like they they were getting good looks they just weren't going down and over the course of the first quarter they got progressively more aggressive they ended the first quarter after starting one of nine they finished five of 11 from three which is 45 percent right I loved what I saw from Chris Middleton he hunted his shot once the first one went down He kind of took matters into his own hands, looking to keep shooting, to keep building a rhythm, to keep kind of building a foundation to play off of because Middleton hadn't hadn't really gotten it going yet. Game one and game two were nightmares. Game three, no one really got it going. And he had a couple of successful plays, a couple of successful shots yesterday early. So he was, he's like, I get me the ball. I got to keep putting up shots. I got to keep building that rhythm. And he did. I loved what I saw. Pat Connaughton was aggressive. Bryn Forbes was aggressive. Brooke Lopez was aggressive, although few too many three-point shots for my liking, but I appreciated the aggressiveness. It's almost like these Bucks players knew we can't shoot any worse than we already have, right? Worst case scenario, we simply maintain what we've been doing for the last three games. So they shot not with reckless abandon, but with the requisite amount of aggression that was necessary yesterday, especially at home, especially with a chance to put Brooklyn on their heels, right? They're trying to push back the momentum of this series, And if they get a win yesterday, you're really, really swinging the momentum back. That takes a certain level of aggression. That invites a certain level of aggression, and I think they met that in the first quarter. Drew was attacking the rim. I didn't love what I saw from Giannis. He looked tentative. He looked, like, scared. I don't know what he was scared of, but he looked tentative early. He was the one player that didn't seem to have the appropriate level of aggression. And then halfway through the second quarter, Bucks are up four, and everything changes. Kyrie Irving comes down wrong on his ankle. And the series changed. The game changed. The Honestly, the outlook of the playoffs changes considerably. Because Kyrie leaving yesterday's game, considering that James Harden is already out, Kyrie's absence completely changed the math of this game. And probably the math of the series. He's not even going to play tomorrow night in Game 5 either. Things changed considerably. Because once Kyrie left, the Bucks are now the much better team. Much better team. They don't need to rely on good three-point shooting to beat a Nets team that features Kevin Durant and Joe Harris. They can they can shoot 20% from three and still beat Kevin Durant and Joe Harris if just a couple of simple things fall into place. Once Kyrie left, 
They don't need an above-average shooting night to win. They don't need good luck. They don't need to out-punch their weight class. They just need to not be terrible. The math changed quite a bit. We don't need to jack long threes. We just need to do the little things, attack the paint, get Drew Holiday involved, get some looks to Middleton, who was really timely when he hit shots in the second half yesterday. Like, every time Brooklyn tried to make a little bit of a push, Chris Middleton seemed to have an answer, right? Giannis is no longer playing scared once Kyrie leaves. Drew is attacking the rack. Chris Middleton made a couple of good looks to get to the rack, too. He had a move on Kevin Durant in the corner where he did this little hesitation dribble and just went up with the left hand high off the glass. Middleton could get to the rack when he wants to. And once Kyrie Irving left, I think there was this recognition either in the huddle or by individual Bucks players, or maybe it was just something that was unsaid. It's like, let's not even mess around shooting threes. Like, we don't want to invite a bad shooting night into the equation. Let's just go to the rack, and let's be physical, and let's end this game. We're at home. We have the energy behind us, and we are pushing the momentum into Brooklyn, into a, a game five, right, in a tie series 2-2. We're putting them back on their heels, and I think their play style of getting to the rack and shooting some threes, yeah, but not nearly as many as I think they would have maybe if Kyrie Irving uh, wouldn't have left the game. Giannis wasn't playing scared. Chris and Drew were getting the rack. Most importantly, P.J. Tucker. He had a bunch of points. Really, for the first time in the series, he had shots that fell. He hit three of six of his three-point attempts, and he was just he was just blanketing Kevin Durant. When he was the primary defender on Kevin Durant, he just did such a good job. And I saved P.J. Tucker for last because his effort and his impact plays perfectly into this next point that I want to make. And it's a point that we made on Thursday. It's a point that we made on Friday. P.J. Tucker got into Kevin Durant's head yesterday. It's not like Kevin Durant started throwing punches and getting ejected. Not not to that degree, but he frustrated Kevin Durant. He got into the head of Kevin Durant like the Bucks got into the Nets' heads yesterday, which was made much easier by the Kyrie Irving injury. Don't get me wrong. But the Bucks still had to take control of this game hit some big shots in the second half, and win this game by a considerable amount. We talked about a blowout last week and what a blowout would mean for the Bucs. I kept saying Milwaukee needs to win both at home, and one of them needs to be a blowout. They need one commanding win. They need one win to make Brooklyn think, damn it, we had them down zero games to two. The series should have been over. We had an opportunity in game three, and we let it slip by, and now that this has turned into a mess. All of our superstars are banged up. Kevin Durant's having to do it all himself. And now it's a tie game, and the Bucs have all the momentum. They needed one game that got Brooklyn in their head thinking, damn, like we had this opportunity, we missed out on it, and now this thing got messy, right? They needed one game to put that into Brooklyn's head, and yesterday it happened. And yes, it was much easier to put that into Brooklyn's head considering the Kyrie Irving injury, but injuries happen. Right, And it's up to teams to take advantage of other teams' injuries and mitigate the effects of their own. Yesterday's game fulfilled our wildest dreams from last week. You understand that, right? They need a blowout. They need to rattle Brooklyn a little bit. Yeah, the narratives start to switch up a little bit. The pressure is put on the nets. Now they're on their heels. Now they feel like, oh my God, if we lose another game, this is really falling apart. The Bucks have all the momentum. right? And, and something I noticed towards the end of yesterday's game and on social media too, Now we're revisiting game three. We're looking back and saying, man, the Nets really, they blew it in game three. The Nets needed to win that game and they didn't get it done. What a wasted opportunity. They would have been up 3-0 and they couldn't do it. And now looks what happened. Remember 2019 when the exact same thing happened to the Bucs? They were up 2-0 on the Raptors. And then game three goes to double overtime. 
and the Bucks play poorly. Giannis only had like, what, 17, 18 points, and the Bucks lose. And for the rest of the series, we're looking back thinking if the Bucks had only won game three, if they only could have won game three, this series would have been different. And now we're doing the same thing with game three of this series. Everybody's looking back thinking, man, the Bucks played so bad in game three, and Brooklyn couldn't take advantage. They wasted that opportunity. This is the blueprint that we laid out last week. I said if the Bucs can win in blowout fashion this weekend, it changes everything. And yes, Kyrie got hurt, and that certainly plays into the math. But this game, this win yesterday by the Bucs, tying it up 2-2, every impact that we discussed last Thursday and Friday, we got. This played out exactly like we were hoping, and that bodes really, really well for the Milwaukee Bucks. 608-796-2558. Got a couple of texts. I'll get to those on the other side of the break. I want to talk about how the narrative has changed a little bit because narrative is powerful in the NBA. And y'all made fun of me for saying that last week, but I'm right. All right? It does have a huge impact. I'll explain why. We'll talk more about that. And yes, we're going to get into the Brewers at 435 because they're just, they're not losing. I don't even know what to say about this team. They've won 14 of, or 17 of 21 or some absurd number. We'll get to the Brewers after 430. More Bucks talk coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. On the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. There's a long, long tradition in the playoffs of things and, and the level of defense, the level of um, execution defensively, the physicality, both defensively and offensively. Every team rises, raises it to another level. And um, the best referees are refereeing. And, you know, both teams are always frustrated, win or lose. That's Coach Bud, I'm assuming, talking about the physical defense of P.J. Tucker, but others as well. The Bucks just turned on the gas defensively yesterday. Steve Nash, after the game, saying, oh, it was a little overly physical, if you ask me, which is just posturing, right? You want to put that in the officials' minds. Hey, pay little attention to what's going on over there with P.J. Tucker, who is like a rabid bulldog on cocaine. Defending Kevin Durant did an excellent job yesterday. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. A couple of Bucks texts. Jason texts in and says, uh, James Harden and Kyrie Irving just officially listed as out for game five. Yes, they were. Kyrie a little bit ago. I think the Harden announcement came after, or maybe I just saw Kyrie before the game and I missed out on Harden. But Jason, you you can't worry about who's on the other side. You control what you can control, brother, okay? And that includes texts sent on the talk and text line. I don't care who's playing for the for the Nets. Bucks got to take care of business or whatever. I don't believe that. You know I don't believe that, but that's what I would say if I was a player or coach doing a press conference. Billy says, talk about Pat. Um, You know, for as much crap as we give to Pat Connaughton, yesterday made me like Pat Connaughton, and it's not just because he shot well. He did in the limited attempts that he took. He was two of five from three. He hit both of his free throws. Pat Connaughton was actually plus 23 yesterday in 22 minutes, which is greater than every other buck not named Giannis, who was plus 29. So statistically, Pat was great yesterday, even in a small sample size. I heard a point that was made on Bill Simmons' podcast with Ryan Rossillo on Sunday night. And Pat, and, and I agree with it wholeheartedly, they were basically saying that Pat, for as much crap as he sometimes gets, he doesn't look scared out there. Like Bobby Portis at times, who I love. Like he put a three off the side of the backboard. Like, at times in the postseason, it looks a little bit too much for Bobby Portis. I'm not sure about Bryn Forbes. He was hitting a lot of shots against the Heat. He's kind of cooled off. I'm not going to say that just because a three-point shooter is hitting threes that the playoffs are are too much. I'm not going to draw that conclusion or make that assumption. But Pat Connaughton seems to be 
there for the moment. It doesn't seem too big for him. Like, he got popped in the eye yesterday. He was bleeding down his face. He just sat there stone cold. Like, he looks comfortable in these big spots. And that's not something that I can say for some of these other Bucks bench players. So give credit where credit is due, not only for hitting a couple of shots, but just seeming like he belonged. And, Billy, I appreciate you texting about Pat because I, I tend to agree after yesterday's game. 608-796-2558. We're talking about narrative last week. And what would happen if the Bucks were able to win both of these games and maybe get a blowout in there too? A game that inserts some doubt into the mind of the Nets or Nets backers, Nets fans, Nets betters, and gets people thinking, damn, the Nets were up 2-0 and then they let a great opportunity go by in game three and now this game is is a brand new series. It's a brand new, it's a brand new battle altogether. It's now best of three and the Bucks have all the momentum. This is why some sports media is just terrible right? Because we let these narratives run wild and they, they fly around like, like weapons, honestly, with what people say about teams after one game or the sample size of only two games, right? This is why sports media is, is sometimes terrible. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where it's just not productive to pay attention to it, right? It's funny that people will come on talk shows after two games in a series and proclaim confidently that it's done, that it's over, Right, this series is done. Well, what happens two games later when then it's tied? Like what? Now, so now it's not over. So now I should listen to what you have to say. We were kind of dragging Chris Broussard last week, who I used to really like. Like I used to be a big Chris Broussard guy because he was like this very composed, voice of reason NBA reporter, and now he's just some hot take, Harry with Uncle Rob Parker on Fox Sports Radio. Here is Chris Broussard on the Bucks after the first two games. It is over. Oh, no. Yes, yes, a thousand <laughs> oh, times, gosh. yes. It is over. Oh, we've done All it right? again. Period. We've done it, it, it again. It's over. And, and, and I love, one reason I know it's over, I love Kevin Durant's attitude. Oh, now, yeah. you heard in that okay. quote. So, you get the point. Basically, what NBA people say is that, oh, it's over, right? Styles make fights in boxing, matchups make series in the NBA, whatever, cliche, blah, 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 blah. So that was after game two, right? It's over. It's done. Uh, this is Chris Broussard this morning. They can't beat the Bucks. They shouldn't beat the Bucs. That's the Darger. If they, they beat the Bucs, shame on the Bucs uh, if they beat them without Kyrie Irving and James right. Harden. Blow it and up. it doesn't look like either one is going to be available okay. for game five. I mean, much we'll see about well, any games after that. And then you hear, I hear Brandon Marshall in the back, blow it up. Why does everyone want to blow up every roster that's ever been conceived or created? What, what, is, what is it with you people? Did you watch the game yesterday? What went well for the Bucs went, went poorly and vice versa. Like, my God, this is why I bring up narrative. is because this, is, this isn't just the voices that I played you. I actually give all the credit in the world to Colin Cowherd today, who I really like. I don't agree with everything that he says, but as a radio solo host, I adore Colin Cowherd in the way that he runs his show. And instead of saying, well, Brooklyn lost due to injuries, move on, he actually broke it down. This stinks for Brooklyn but this isn't shocking. This isn't surprising. Here's what Cowherd had to say. I saved like 35 seconds of it. All right, let's talk the fragile Brooklyn Nets. Oh, they're fragile now. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit predicting the Bucks net series. I think I've whiffed four different times. Uh, we, we said last week uh, the Brooklyn Nets have become Tesla. Brilliant, revolutionary. Oh, boy. But uh, Elon Musk running the show, you're not sure what they are day to day. This is what Brooklyn is. Fragile. Kyrie Irving, he's hurt again. 
Kevin Durant, now frustrated. He's the only star left. Blake Griffin, Steve Nash isn't playing him enough. And Harden, I don't know. Does anybody know? Okay, when you lay it out like that, uh, oh, well, of course Kyrie is hurt or James Harden is hurt or Kevin Durant could be hurt. This is how this team was built. This is how this team was chalked up. A lot of talkers today just came on and said, well, yeah, the injuries ruined the series, which isn't unfair. Like, that is true. Kyrie getting hurt and James Harden getting hurt, it changed the series. It's not unfair to think that, but life isn't fair, okay? Saying the Bucs wouldn't have won if Kyrie didn't get hurt. Okay, yeah, but he did get hurt, and the Bucs did win. That game is in the books. As Ted Davis would say, it's in the bank, earning interest. This is why I don't like revisiting games, saying, well, they won't win another game playing like that. Well, they don't need to. They won that game. Well, they're not going to shoot that poorly again. Well, that doesn't matter. They did shoot that poorly, right? We, we can't. We have to stop doing this. We have to stop taking from one game and assigning that meaning to another. Every game is new. Every game is played differently, officiated differently. It's shot differently. It's played in a different building, right? And injuries are such a big part of this game, especially with this Nets team. And this has been a book on them all year long. Anytime somebody would try to make a case for the Sixers or the Bucks or, heck, even the Hawks are the insane people that still think the Celtics are any good. What would they say? Well, if you just get into the playoffs healthy, who knows? Maybe Kyrie, you know, completely leaves the team. He has an injury history. Maybe KD has an injury. And this year, James Harden got out of shape and had injury issues. That was the book on them all year. And now we're supposed to act like this is some ridiculous development. This is what we've said for months. And this is the argument for beating Brooklyn. This is also the risk you run when you build such a top-heavy team. This is the same risk that the Bucks ran. When they brought Drew Holiday in and they gave up on George Hill and they gave up on, like, Ursan isn't as good as he was two years ago, but you get my point. They went with a top-heavy roster and they jettisoned some of this depth. If Chris Middleton gets hurt, the Bucs are done. If Drew Holiday gets hurt, the Bucs are done. Much like with the Nets, if Kyrie or James Harden or both gets hurt, they're done. Also, the fact that KD is still 100% healthy is a testament to him. Steve Nash has ran him into the ground for 48 to 47 minutes in some of these games. I'm not saying that KD is going to get hurt, but like he's been working his guys. Coach Bud hasn't. The Bucs are healthy. As much as we rip on Coach Bud for not playing his guys enough minutes, the Bucs are healthy. Knock on wood, that continues. I want to get to the Brewers because the Brewers have won 17 out of 21. They're just, they're out of this world right now, and I want to talk about them because I love the Brewers. Let's see that. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Garcia to right, plenty deep. Polanco back, gone. Brewers lead at 4-2 on a two-run blast by Avi Garcia. Avi! This remains, by the way, just a huge, huge Avi Garcia show. I'm a big Avi guy. Brewers won again yesterday because that's what they do 17 of 21. Heck of a couple of weeks for the Brewers. I want to talk about this team. I know the Bucs tied it up yesterday. We'll get back into the Bucs and do more on them. But I got to... They've won 17 of 21. I feel like we're not even talking about it. So I want to talk about the Brewers for a few minutes. My name, Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Coming up an hour from now, um, I don't even know. I don't, I don't have anything in my rundown. Because I can't decide if I want to do more Brewers or if we want to get into Mark Murphy and the Packers. Mark Murphy called Aaron Rodgers a complicated fella, which 
isn't really the end of the world, but in a situation like this, it's the end of the world. It's perceived as a shot over the bow, which, I mean, maybe it is. I don't, I don't know. I don't think Mark Murphy is that deep, personally. So we can either talk about that, or we can talk more about the Brewers in an hour. I really don't care. I'll do either. I'm going to leave that up to you. So if you feel strongly one way or another, please text or call 608-796-2558. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant as well. I just, I, I, I don't know. I wasn't passionate about either. I'm like, we could go either way here. We could be a, we could be a switch hitter, righty or lefty. Brewers or Packers in an hour from now. So if you feel strongly one way or another, hit me up. You can also tweet me, follow me at Wisco Grant. Brewers won 5-2 to two yesterday. And it's getting to the point now where we aren't really even like watching Brewers games. We're just, we're just watching Brewers wins. It's just fun every day knowing what time to turn on the TV just so I can enjoy a win. This is such a nice boost, you know? It's it's certain. It is known. It is constant. Oh, 210 today. I get to watch the Brewers win a game. How nice is that? I think tonight, what do they play at uh, um, 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 710? Yep, I knew that off the top of my head. I didn't have to reference anything for that. 710, the Brewers play tonight. So we can tune in at 710 to watch the Brewers beat the Reds. I believe it's Eric Lauer night. Uh, I don't care. I still feel like the Brewers are going to win. They're just gassing everybody right now. And it's not like the lineup has been incredible and stacked top to bottom the last few days. A lot of Jace Peterson, a lot of Pablo Reyes, Tim Lopes, who is no Colton Wong at second base. He might not even be Keston Hira at second base. They're running out lineups. I'm scratching my head. It's like, ah, uh, September, I'm going to look back. And it's like, oh, yeah, Jace Peterson used to get at bats for this team. Like Nate Orff and Brad Miller in 2018. Remember those guys? Of course you don't, because by the end of the year, they were irrelevant, but you need bodies to get you through regular season games and through series against a really bad Pirates team. The Pirates are 23 and 41. The Brewers are 11 over 500. In this stretch, they've gone from two under 500 to 11 over since May 22nd, which is the day before Keston Hira's call up. Keston Hira day, which is Groundhog Day on this program for starting this Brewers hot streak. The Brewers are 17 and 4. They have winning streaks of four, five, and four since the end of May, and we aren't really even talking about it. We're talking about a Bucks playoff run, yeah. Talking about whatever Mark Murphy says in some weird, like, Rotary Club meeting or something or other, I don't know. The Brewers are just taking care of business. We're like, yeah, of course they're doing that because they're the Brewers and that's what they do. I remember earlier this year, they're falling below 500. They're losing spells of games, and I'm like, no, this team... Is good. They have a hot streak in them. That's what Corbin Burns kept saying. That's what Craig Council kept saying. That's what all these Brewers players kept saying. It's like, we have a hot streak in us. Things will turn around. It just takes some time. Sometimes baseball is weird. And you go through bad stretches, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Now, I think the call-up of Keston Hero is a little bit of a message that David Stearns tried to send, tried to get things going. Also, the trade for Willie Adamas, as we've talked about. Right? And we haven't really talked about the Brewers. We've talked about Mark Murphy calling Aaron Rodgers a complicated fella. How about we talk about Avi Garcia, who is a fella that just crushes baseballs. Like Avi over Aaron at the moment. Avi greater sign Aaron right now. And we talked about this last week, like things that have changed since the start of this Brewers hot streak. The pitching hasn't changed. The pitching is just maintained. And Adrian Hauser yesterday with another example of what I would call maybe like a hard-nosed start, a start in which he didn't have his best stuff. He wasn't electric. He wasn't striking out a dozen guys, but he still fought through. He cleared some innings, which they desperately needed yesterday. I don't think he cleared as many innings as the Brewers would have liked. He got through five and two-thirds, almost got through six to his credit, but he gave up seven hits. 
right? A lot of a lot of pitches because he threw a lot of balls as well, right? Like it wasn't the most efficient outing, but it was a hard-nosed outing, and he ate the Brewers a few innings, which is what they desperately needed, and he gave his team a chance to win, right? Willie Adamas, we talked about that trade and how that's changed the equation for the Brewers over the last couple of weeks, and I missed on that. My bad. I don't even know who he was, and I will admit that. Yeah, I know he played on a contender last year. Okay. I, I watched the World Series. That doesn't mean I'm going to remember these guys. We've, we've talked about in the past. Baseball is really regional. Baseball fandom is really regional. I watch my team mostly play against their own division. This year, I guess I've become more of a Sunday Night Baseball fan, which basically means I just see a lot of the Braves. So I'm a Brewers, NL Central, and Braves guy. Non-voluntary, but I'm forced to be a, a Braves guy. And I missed on this Willie Adamas trade. He's been electric. He's hit the ball really well. He's hitting 280 so far as a member of the Brewers. Bunch of RBIs, three home runs. He's getting walks, too. His production has been there. His performance has been there. But his energy, too. I keep hearing about his energy from everybody who's interviewed about Willie Adamas. Yelich and Council and Narvaez are like, yeah, he has this energy. He has this aura. I think this club just needed a shot in the arm. They knew that eventually things would turn around, but maybe that process was expedited by bringing in a bit of a spark plug in Willie Adamas. I think maybe they needed that. David Stearns and Craig Council might have felt that and and made a move to, to fit that need. Avi, as we talked about, has been crushing. He's picked up a lot of the slack from where Yelich and Hira and Wong have, have been lacking for injuries or for lack of performance. Thank God for Avi Garcia and the way he's played. I don't know where the Brewers would be without him right now. He's leading in home runs. He's leading in RBIs. And you hope... Keston here can get it going. I'm not going to hold my breath. Hopefully, Christian Yelich, who had a great weekend, he continues to trend in the right direction. Right? Those are some of the things we've talked about for the last two weeks during this hot streak. The pitching, Willie Adamas, Avi Garcia. But over this last weekend, even, I noticed some other factors that I think are really helping this team win games. First and foremost, Daniel Vogelback. I, yes, I swear he hasn't had a bat at bat over the last week or so. He's just seeing the ball well, which is something I tweeted at Wisco Grant the other night. Over the last seven days in six games played and 21 at-bats, he's got five runs scored, six hits, three doubles, two home runs, four RBIs. He has six walks, too, in 21 at-bats. He's seeing the ball well. Might not be crushing every ball out of the ballpark, but you see him walk up there and he's just, he's dialed in. He's fighting off pitches. He's pushing the ball to the opposite field. He's doing good Hitting things, good fundamental things. Daniel Vogelback seeing the ball right now. Luis Urias, he's also having some good at-bats, and he's been more productive offensively. He's been in the leadoff spot a couple of times in the last week or so. Right, two hits in an RBI yesterday. Luis Urias, we'd seen the offense, especially the clutch offense, and his ability, even when falling down 0-2, he'll fight back, he'll make a pitcher work, and he'll take his walks as well. What's jumped out to me with Luis Urias, and I'm going to knock on wood as I say it because I don't want to jinx it, He's been much better defensively, too. Making highlight plays and preventing runs. And maybe he's been aided by the confidence of Willie Adamas. That addition, maybe that works in mysterious ways that we can't understand. Just imagine when Colton Wong gets back, right? They're going to have Wong and Adamas. And if Urias is playing third the way he's been defending, it's a really good infield. Regardless of who's playing at first base, Vogelback does a, a pretty decent job. I think we dwell on the fact, well, he's not really a first baseman. Okay, well, is he good enough? He's not Keston Hira. Okay, then he's fine, right? Urias's improvement defensively at short or at, at, at second or wherever he's playing, third mostly, I think his improvement is a microcosm of the defensive improvement of this entire team. 
because we're not too long removed from this team not really being able to get out. Think back of that pair of game against the Royals, that two-game series against Kansas City, that Wednesday game, May 19th. I went back and looked it up. Kansas City won that game 6-4, to four, and they did so scoring six runs on only seven hits. Seven hits, six runs. And the rest of the week, I was talking about run prevention. I'm like, look, this team is limited offensively, but they should not be limited defensively or with pitching, right? Teams should not be able to score six runs on seven hits against the Brewers. You should need extra hits to score runs against the Brewers. You should need extra offense. You should, for every run that you get across, for every hit that you get, you should need a hit and a half. You should need two hits because the Brewers are built on run prevention, pitching, and defense. The threshold for offense against the Brewers should be higher. The bar should be higher. You need to clear a higher threshold in order to score against the Brewers, and that wasn't the case just a couple of weeks ago. And I know it was against the Pirates yesterday, although the Royals stink too. So if we're if we're making measuring sticks out of these teams, we can't pick and choose which teams are bad, right? The Pirates yesterday had two runs on 10 hits. That's an encouraging sign. That's the other side of this coin, right? If it's bad, I'm talking about it's bad that teams are scoring six runs on seven hits. The other side of that coin, the desirable result is for a bunch of hits on the bad day for the pitching and defense, but only two runs are coming across, meaning you're not throwing the ball all over the infield. You're making plus plays defensively, right? And you're, you're making good decisions and the catching is holding up defensively. You're throwing out base runners. You're not allowing pass balls and, and a lot of walks. Right? Yesterday was the desired play style in terms of run prevention for the Brewers. Yeah, you give up a lot of hits, but it still shouldn't lead to a lot of runs. If the ball's staying in the ballpark and they're not extra base hits, you should be able to clean those guys up because you have good defenders. They're without Lorenzo Cain. They're without Colton Wong. They have room to improve defensively, and I think they will over the course of the next couple of weeks. But a big step by Luis Urias with the addition of Willie Adamas, and those two things might be connected. Right, that's made such a big difference. Teams are having to earn it against the Brewers. Wasn't the case a month or so ago. That's made a, a big difference. 608-796-2558. That's the way to text the show. You can tweet as well. Uh, let's go to the phones really, really quickly before uh, we take a break. Is this Scott? Scott, is that you on the talk? Oh, I got to pick up the phone. Hold on. <laughs> Scott, is Jump that you? Jump in quick. Uh, that Willie Adamas trade. Uh, the other guy that came along with it, uh, kind of a goofy-looking guy, that Richard. Yeah, He came in after Corbin Burns. You know, you, you always picture with these ace, quote-unquote, guys that, hey, he gave up a couple runs in the first and second, but he still struggled, got the bases loaded with nobody out in a way that if the Pirates had done anything there, they might have just put the nail in the coffin. But that Rodgers came in and struck out the side. And uh, I think, obviously, he was the thrown-in guy when Adamas was the marquee talent. But if we're giving up two relievers, getting a shortstop and a reliever back, and a reliever can do something like that, um, you know, strike out the side after Corbin Burns got the bases loaded was a pretty effective coming out party for him. So I just wanted to give him some props over the weekend. Yeah, thank you, Scott. And I agree with you. And I think if we're going to give, I, I think if we're going to give credit to starting pitchers for working their way through an outing, I think we also got to give credit to then the reliever who comes in and really seals the deal. That was Richards on Saturday. That was brilliant. He came in and just gassed three straight hitters. And before you knew it, the Pirates went from bases loaded, nobody outs, to the innings over. And at that point, it's like, okay, this Brewers team is clicking right now. Everybody is, is playing their best brand of baseball. Everybody is doing a terrific job. And you mentioned the throw-in, the reliever, the Chris Middleton in the Willie Adamas trade. The Brewers need to get plus performances from their relievers, whether it's Brent Suter, you mentioned Richards. 
they need guys to outperform their average just a little bit. When you give up on Rasmussen and you give up on J.P. Fireisen, well, now you need a plus performance from all of these guys. They did an okay job. Brent Suter's been shaky here and there, but he's been able to eat innings too. Scott, I appreciate you mentioning that, and I think it is a good point. It's fair to mention that Richards really helped Corbin Burns the other day. I've been giving starters credit for, for working their way through tough outings. They sometimes get help, as Corbin Burns did on Saturday, and that's a point that I appreciate you making, Scott. Let's take a break. I want to continue to talk about the Brewers, but I also want to bring the Bucks into it. I think home field, home court advantage is back. Uh, there's a couple of bits of evidence, uh, both just like tactile evidence, evidence you can see in here, but also evidence that shows up statistically as well. And I want to share with you some of that evidence coming up next. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. read you this little tidbit from Tom Hodricourt. He's covered the Brewers for the Journal Sentinel for a long time. Tweeted this out. Craig Council said he watched the last four innings of Brewers game with family at home after son Brady's graduation ceremony was over. Said it was a first for him and enjoyable, particularly after they took the 5-2 lead. That's just, that's king behavior. Sitting back watching my squad get a win after I go to my brother's graduation. Yeah, that was cool. Pat Murphy managing the game and Craig Council able to go to his son's graduation. That's cool. And why not? There's 162 regular season games. You don't think a manager can miss one or two of them for a for a family thing? Good for Craig. And congrats, Brady, graduating from Whitefish Bay. It's the Wisco Sports Show, the number one Craig Council program in the state, among other things. My name, Grant Bills, on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. 608-796-2558. You can reach out that way, as Scott did. Uh, before the last break, and I apologize because I Scott, uh, brought Scott in and forgot to pick up the phone, so we started talking, and I'm pretty sure we missed the f- the first thing that he said. My bad. I was up late last night. I was trying to watch a bunch of sports. I was just trying to soak it all in. I did so much work on the show last night before I went to bed. I got in a groove, and I woke up tired. What's new? Something that I noticed a lot of over the weekend, especially yesterday, there were just so many games on. Between the Bucks, the Brewers and some other random games, I really felt and I really noticed crowds over the weekend. Fans. When Brooke hit that three-point shot last night, I, like, I don't know if I'd heard anything like that since uh, since pre-pandy, since before the pandemic. I, I don't know if this does it justice, but I did cut the sound. The Bucks have found their stroke from downtown. Middleton on the steal. Holiday on the drive. Lopez, long three. So you can hear the crowd. Also, Mike Breen is so much better than the next best basketball announcer. I Like, the gap between him and number two, it has to be larger than in any other league, right? Like, I think the best play-by-play man in the NFL, you don't have to agree. I'm just giving you my opinion. I think it's Joe Buck. But Al Michaels is fantastic. Nance is spectacular. Like, all, all those guys are really good, right? In baseball, like, Vaskurgeon was doing Sunday Night Baseball last night. He's really good. I love Joe Buck in baseball, too. Smoltz is excellent. I'm not sure who's best in basketball. Mike Breen is so much better than the next closest basketball announcer. I don't even know who would be number two. I don't know. Maybe Kevin Harlan, but Kevin Harlan's like a completely different thing. Different style altogether, right? With TNT. I like Brian Anderson, but Mike Breen is just, there's there's nobody better. Aside from the crowd noise, which I hope that that kind of exemplified a little bit if you didn't watch the game and you you didn't see it. 
you can tell by the shooting numbers, too, that, that home court advantage is at least a thing in a way that it wasn't in the regular season or last year. Not all these arenas are full capacity. I'm not sure which ones are and which ones aren't. They're, they're pretty close. Role players and the way that they shoot or don't shoot is a good litmus test for home court advantage. For example, Joe Harris, while shooting threes in Brooklyn, 8 of 16. He's been 3 of 13 so far shooting in Milwaukee. That's how it goes, right? And then Bucks role players yesterday get it going. Pat Connaughton and P.J. Tucker, 5 of 11 combined. You see role players struggle on the road, play well at home. We've seen that dynamic come back into play in the postseason this year. You, I mean, it was loud and clear and obvious in yesterday's game. You could feel the crowd at AmFam Field yesterday during the Brewer game. Yelich mentioned it after the game. I couldn't find the sound, but I got the quote about the, the pinch hit opportunity on Saturday. I love those situations when everyone's getting loud and getting wild. It's even better when good things happen and keeps getting louder and louder and louder. This is when Yelich came up to pinch hit the other night. You can just hear the crowd. Here comes Christian Yelich. This is Day. I mean, just, everybody's on their feet. Everybody's fired up just to be back in stadiums again. Last night, during the Cubs game, Cubs-Cardinals, Sunday Night Baseball. By the way, the Cardinals are below 500, so we can all laugh at them and, and poo-poo them. Wrigley was nuts. It was packed to the seams. They were making cup snakes that went up, I swear, to the third deck. Like It sounded like it was a playoff game in there. Like, crowds are back. Home field or home court advantage is back, and it's having an effect on certain players. It's affecting role players in the postseason. I think it's impacting some of the Brewers players. I think it impacts a player like Javi Baez, right? Like, these players are showmen. They're entertainers as well, right? Not everybody can just come into an empty studio every day and just do it in front of nobody. That takes a, yeah, that takes a special time. <laughs> a little bit different, right? Very different. Coming up in the second half of the show, I want to start with the Bucks, and then we'll see where we go. At 5.30, I even want to do the Brewers or the Packers. I'm not sure which. If you feel strongly one way or another, call your shot, send a text, send a tweet, because I'll do either. I don't really care which one. We'll do one or the other coming up. But coming up next, I want to get back into the Bucks. continue to break down what happened yesterday, and not just dwell on the Kyrie Irving injury, because there's other interesting tidbits of this game and series to dig into as well. We'll do that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. 